0: And amen. Let us turn to Psalm one hundred and fifty as we uh, take the, the last Psalm in our uh, mini series here of, of taking one Psalm from each of the five books of the Psalms. So now we're in Book five and the, the very end of Book five, the very end of all the Psalter. Psalm one hundred and fifty. That's page six hundred and sixty eight in the Blue ESV Bibles. We'll be reading, considering the six verses of this psalm. Uh, one note: if you are uh, taking notes from the outline in the bulletin, uh, we have uh, five points. They're they're not uh, they're not at all balanced, uh, unless you think symmetrically. We'll have two short points, and then the third point will be will be quite long as we consider that that long middle section of this psalm, and then we'll have a a, a very short point four and point five. So five points, but point three is going to be this longer middle point, if you're taking notes. Well, brothers and sisters, let us now hear the word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so far the reading. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church bells are not very common today or at least if you see them, you don't hear them much anymore. But for many centuries and in many different countries from England to the colonies that became the early states and and many other places for for many, many centuries, the church bell played an important role in many uh, communities and places. These often large church bells were used to announce the start of church services on Sunday. They were used to announce other events throughout the week, such as the uh, death of a member in the community or the birth of a new child in the community. And each town usually had their own rules for how many tolls of the bell communicated uh, this or that event. There was an English minister who lived many years ago. He was born in 1794. His name was Barton Bouquier, And he once described how sometimes a whole guild of blacksmiths would gather together to make a large church bell. And sometimes when they did that, some of those blacksmith guilds had a tradition, had a habit, had a pattern of singing Psalm 150 together as they made the church bell. And Barton Bouquier describes this in a nearly poetic way when he says, while the molten metal of the church bell was prepared to be let off into the mold, ready to receive it. One may picture these swarthy sons of the furnace with the ruddy glow of the fire upon their faces as they stand around while their deep voices rung forth this hymn of praise. End of quote. Surely, God is to be praised by all. Let us hear the church bell calling us on Sunday. And let us hear the bell call us to a faithful Thursday lunch break. Let us hear all the instruments that God's people, as His creative creatures, have made, and let us give praise to the Creator of everything. Our theme then is this. May praise to God be our continual and final word. May praise to God be our continual and final word. And we begin with this. Praise Yahweh in all places. This concluding uh, psalm of praise uh, begins with the place where praise is given to God in a special way. Praise God in his sanctuary. God's people are called to praise God everywhere. And we'll see that as we work through the rest of this psalm. But we are called in a particular way in one day of seven to give worship in a particular place as we gather together. And so the psalm begins with that special place. Praise God in His sanctuary. But it is not only the sanctuary where God is to be praised. It is everywhere. God is to be praised in His mighty heavens. Now, which mighty heavens is the psalmist thinking of? It is not clear. Is he thinking of the mighty heavens, the atmosphere, and then beyond, the sun and moon and stars? Is he thinking of the mightiest heavens Heaven, which is invisible to us where the angels are. It is not specified perhaps all of the mighty heavens are in view. Certainly uh, just before this in one of the other concluding hallelujah psalms in Psalm 148, if you turn back just a page or maybe not even a page, Psalm 148 verses 2 to 4, certainly all of the mighty heavens are included. Praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. And so here in Psalm 150, by using that language, mighty heavens, we are reminded that God is to be praised in every place. Even to the invisible realm, God is praised and to be praised everywhere. And so in the unlikely event, Uh, that anyone here is ever one of those few people who goes up into the uh, first and visible mighty heavens in a rocket ship, you are to praise God in the heavens. We are to praise God in all places. And we are to praise God in all things that He has done. That is our second point. Give praise to the Lord. Give praise to Yahweh in all things. And so the psalmist puts together in verse 2 the mighty deeds of God and the excellent greatness of God. And surely everything that God has done is good. And and we hear this this beat throughout the psalm. Thirteen times in these six verses we have uh, the verb praise praise. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. And at the beginning and the end, it specified who Him is. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And He has done many excellent things. Everything He does is good. And it is especially the work of salvation which stands out as the greatest and most excellent work of God. And so when we go back to who him is, praise the Lord, Lord in all caps, that's the covenant name of God, the personal name of God. It emphasizes that God is the God of salvation. Please uh, turn with me uh, to Joel uh, chapter 2. Not the easiest book in the Old Testament to find, uh, but at the beginning of the minor prophets, Hosea, uh, Joel, Amos. Praise the Lord, Lord in all caps, Uh, Hallelujah is Hebrew for praise. Yah is the short form of Yahweh, Lord in all caps throughout the ESV and many English translations of the Old Testament. Praise the Lord. Praise Yah. Praise Yahweh. These are all different ways of saying the same thing. Hallelujah. And what is, who is Yah? Who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord? He's the God of salvation. Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And you'll see the name Lord in all caps more than once in this one verse. Joel 2, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So when we think of the name Lord, when we think of Yahweh, we think of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see especially the Son as this text is used as Paul quotes from Joel chapter two in Romans 10. Now please turn with me to Romans 10, a little bit easier to find. After the Gospels, we have Acts and uh, Romans. Romans chapter 10. And we're keeping Joel 2.32 in mind. We're keeping that name, Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise Him. We're keeping that name in mind. And we might say, well, if if the name is Yahweh, why isn't it translated Yahweh? And some English translations do that. Uh, But most say Lord, and we know that's also okay because that's how the New Testament translates it. In the Greek, it's the Greek name for Lord that translates the name Yahweh when the New Testament authors quote from the Old Testament. And one of those places is Romans 10, verse 13. Romans uh, 10, verse 13. For, quoting from Joel two thirty two, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now who is the Lord? Who is the God of salvation? Who is the one who has accomplished salvation? Look back at Romans ten verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Psalm 150, praise him, praise the Lord, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him for his excellent greatness. God is always mighty, God is always good. We see that excellent greatness in a special way in the coming of the Son, Jesus the Lord, who died and rose again For the salvation of sinners, all those who repent of their sins and call upon His name, call upon the Lord, Yahweh, Jesus, our Savior. Now, brothers and sisters, let's come to our third point, this longer uh, middle uh, section of Psalm 150. And uh, here there's a focus on uh, musical instruments which speaks of the wide variety of ways in which we are called to give praise to the Lord. And we're going to zoom in on three of the instruments listed. We're going to begin with the first one, the trumpet. Now, boys and girls, you should probably be thinking of something more like a ram's horn that makes a single loud note and not of a modern trumpet with with three valves. Uh, And this instrument, this trumpet, this ram's horn, Uh, was exactly the kind of instrument uh, which we would expect to start a list like this because this was the instrument that started things. This was the instrument that called people together to begin events. In some ways, the ram's horn was replaced for many centuries by the church bell calling people to gather together for various reasons. And so throughout the Old Testament, that's, uh, that's seen in multiple contexts. It's, it's an instrument that was used for calling together people in worship. You see that even in the Levitical law, Leviticus chapter 25 verse nine, the day of atonement, you call together the people with the blowing of the ram's horn and uh, also for uh, other occasions of gathering together and for making announcements, uh, such as the announcement of a military victory for Samuel 13 verse three, such as when the Israelites were to gather together for the inauguration of a new king, first Kings one verse 34. Uh, This is the instrument for calling people together for worship, for uh, purposes of war or for making a a declaration about what happened in the war uh, for other purposes. And so what is the application? The application broadly speaking is plain enough even though we don't have ram's horns, we don't have church bells, we really really just use our our watch. Uh, People didn't have watches back in the day. You couldn't say get there at 9.30. You had to blow the ram's horn to let everybody know when it was time to get together. Uh, And so while we don't use these kinds of instruments in the same way, the application is plain enough. Whatever we gather together for, let us gather together for the purpose of honoring God, praising Him in the uh, military victory, praising Him in worship certainly, but but in, in many ways in many places. And now let's, uh, let's look at another instrument. And this is another very broad sweeping instrument. And that is the harp at the end of verse three. Again, it was used for many purposes. It's listed in uh, the instructions for the building of the temple in 1 Kings 10 verse 12. So it had at least some use in the temple. It's included in places that describe an instrument to be played for people who are sorrowful people who are in distress. The most famous example is probably 1st Kings 1623 when uh, David plays the harp for uh, distressed Saul. It's also included in lists of instruments used in times of celebration. This was a versatile instrument. We know instruments today that are versatile. They can be used to play more uplifting tunes. They can also be very appropriately used for uh, people who are in distress and they can play calming music and it can be used in all these kinds of versatile ways. So this is what the harp was in the Old Testament. We see it used in all different contexts. And so uh, picture if you were an Israelite who grew up in ancient Israel and you would have seen the harp used in, in all kinds of different contexts, uh, probably in in funerals, and also in the temple in some way, and also in celebrations and and other contexts. And so the use of this instrument in a list like this is a way for the psalmist to say, praise the Lord wherever you are in all kinds of different contexts. Praise God on the Sabbath. Praise God on a difficult Tuesday. Praise God on a celebration Thursday. Praise the Lord. Now, let will zoom in on one more instrument, the tambourine. And uh, unlike the trumpet and the harp, which are used in many different contexts in the Old Testament, the tambourine, often mentioned together with dance, as it is here at the start of verse four, is always used in contexts of celebration and never used, for example, with reference to the temple. This was, a, this was an instrument of celebration. And so most often in the Old Testament, it's, it's military celebrations, such as when the Israelites celebrated the defeat of Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, but other military victories as well. We have reference to the tambourine and dance coming out. You celebrate that the enemy is defeated and you are free. That is a day to get out the tambourine and dance. It's also mentioned a couple of times in the reference of family celebrations in the Old Testament. This is an instrument for special occasions. It's not something that you play in the temple. It's not something you play at the funeral. It's it's a celebratory instrument often mentioned together with uh, dance. Now, let us ask some questions. Brothers and sisters, how do you celebrate? Or maybe a more common word that we use today is party. How do you party? How do you party? Or maybe if you're a little bit older, it's still kind of a party, but you don't use that word anymore. You just call it a get together. How do you get together? How do you celebrate? How do you party? How do you have banquets and and times of food and fellowship together? What should our joyous occasions look like? Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter five. It's not too far from here. Isaiah uh, chapter five, just a few pages over to the right. And here is a description of what a celebration should not look like. I you know this application is not just for you know, teenagers having parties because there's probably uh, older people in view here. Isaiah chapter five, verses 11 and 12. Woe to those who rise up early in the morning that they may run after strong drink who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp. Remember the harp is mentioned in all kinds of contexts. And here comes the celebratory instrument. Tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts. But they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of His hands. So what are two problems going on there? Well, number one is the actions. They're drunk, verse 11. Number two is when they gather together to celebrate, their spiritual apathy. They don't care anything about who the Lord is or what the Lord has done. You know, from other places in the prophets, right, there's this attitude of, well, it's, it's not the Sabbath. We don't need to worship God on the Sabbath. And then their worship on the Sabbath was profane as well. How do you get together? How do you celebrate? whose name do you remember every day of the week every context and do you cross lines when you get together or do you remain honoring to god in all places using all kinds of different instruments and boom boxes or you know whatever whatever 2023 language and instrument we would use to say it And so at this point, brothers and sisters, let us add that while we are called to praise God in every way, in every place, we're called to praise God in all places, we're called to praise God in many ways. There are some things that are just not included in a list like this. Right? It includes the word dance, but it does not include the word licentious. In other words, there are particular kinds of dancing which are always wrong. And, and additionally, uh, we look at the context of where these instruments are used. Uh, we know that uh, not every form of expression is appropriate for every place. And so brothers and sisters, uh, are we seeking to give glory and honor to God uh, in all places? for all the things that God has done and are we seeking to praise God in many ways? Indeed, we are to give glory and honor to God everywhere. Our worship should be God-honoring, our funerals should be God-honoring, our celebrations and parties should be God-honoring. Well, now let's come to our briefer points uh, 4 and 5. Praise Yahweh, point 4, all creatures. All that has breath, the psalmist says. Now, this may include uh, even the lower creatures. And let's look back again at Psalm 148. We know that the, the lower creatures, even in a sense, can be spoken of as, as giving praise to God. Not in the same way. They don't have a soul. But look at Psalm 148, verses 7 to 10. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. They do not have a soul, but the song of a bird praises the Lord in a certain way. But most importantly, when we read, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, most essentially this is directed to human beings. Because all human beings, Jew and Gentile alike, are made in the image of God. We have the very breath of God breathed into us by the Spirit. Genesis 2, verse 7. And so uh, we are called to call upon the name of God in a particular way. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10. We've been turning to many passages, so you may turn there. Just listen. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 31 to 33. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, that's Psalm 150. Right? Whatever instrument you're using, whatever context you're in, whatever place you're in, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then verses 32 and 33. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Well, this echoes the pattern of Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is, give praise to God in everything that you do. And then verse 6 is a prayer that many would be saved. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let every living person know that Yahweh is the true God, the God of salvation, that they would call upon him and know all of his excellent, excellent deeds, and especially the deed of saving our very souls. It's a prayer that many would be saved. Let everything that has breath. And see it is now in the very expression of a prayer. Let everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. As God's people we are to do everything for the glory of God. And we pray that all who draw breath would come to God in true faith. And that's one of the very reasons why we seek to do everything for the glory of God. So that people would see that we are different on Sunday, that we set a day apart, we set the Sabbath apart for worship, but they would also see that we're seeking to serve God every day of the week and every day of our lives. And we don't party the same. We don't celebrate the same. We don't mourn the same. We mourn as those who have hope. Our life is different. And it is very fitting that a prayer about giving praise to God in every every area of our life would end with a prayer that it would not just be us, but that everyone who has breath would come to do the same. God is worthy of praise. That everyone, Jew and Greek, to the very ends of the earth, praise the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon Jesus Christ. Now let's look back just for a moment at the list of instruments in verses 3 to 5. And let's see that the list begins and ends with loud instruments meant to get everyone's attention. It begins with the trumpet and it ends with the clashing cymbal. Charles Spurgeon once said it this way, that these loud instruments should catch everyone's attention, let the crashing of the cymbals lead, quote, to the awakening of the most heavy of slumberers and startling of the most indifferent of onlookers. End of quote. Praise ye the Lord. Hear the trumpet sound. Hear the cymbals clash. Awake from your slumber, all you who would live in darkness. Call upon the God of salvation. And give praise to Him in everything. Because He is always good. Let all that has breath praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. This is how the Psalms end. It teaches us that even though there's some deeply intense Psalms, This is the end point we always want to get to. The last word of every book of the Psalms is always a word of praise, but that is true in a special way as the whole Psalter comes to an end. And so, for the last five Psalms all together, they are the Hallelujah Psalms, 146 to 150. They all begin and end with the words, Praise the Lord. It's really, Praise you all the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise you Him. This is where the psalms end. This is the final word. And this is one of of the repeated anthems of heaven where we are with God for a thousand years and we have no less days to sing His praise. What are the repeated anthems of heaven? One of them is Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Another repeated anthem. As God brings all of His chosen ones together to worship Him is... Hallelujah. Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And then verse 3. Once more, they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. This is where the Psalms end. And this is the repeated anthem one of the repeated choruses of all of God's multitude, all of His chosen ones, and also all of His angels, forever and ever praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Great God of salvation, of creation, everything,